Today's reading is from Matthew 3, verses 1 to 17. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about to John when he said, Here is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And then they confessed their sins. He baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Then Jesus went to Galilee, to the Jordan River, to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Amen. Let's just pray for Lou as she comes and brings us God's word. <coughs> Father, we, God, we thank you for the passage that we have just read. We thank you uh, that you have laid that on Lou's heart today for us to um, hear what uh, you have said to her and to bring it to us so it becomes a reality. Father, thank you um, for, for all of that. Lord, we just pray for um, Lou now. Uh, Lord, we just ask that you would just be with her at this time um, of learning and teaching and a time of meeting around your table. We ask this in your name. Amen. Morning. Happy New Year. Good to see you. Good. That's quite helpful that you uh, think it's good to see me too. It's a good start, isn't it? Good start to the new year. Hmm? So, here we are. Oh, there we are. Baptism of Jesus. 
This is what we're thinking about for a bit this morning. Why are we thinking about the baptism of Jesus today? Well, really because, well, it's the beginning of a new year. It's also the, the Sunday in the church calendar that is set aside to remember the baptism of Jesus. It's the Sunday in the Catholic tradition where everyone in the service gets sprinkled with a little bit of water as a reminder of their baptism. I used to quite like that in Milton Keynes when I went along to the Mass on the first week of January. And the priest basically goes up and down going like this, sprinkling everybody, reminding them of their baptism, sprinkling them with holy water. And I thought, you know what? That is a tradition that I would quite like to adopt as a Baptist. Because we believe in full immersion, so it wouldn't be some dainty sprinkler. I could basically stand at the front with a super soaker and blast it at you. Hey? I haven't managed to organize that this, this, uh, this week, but there's always next year, isn't there? Hey? I could saturate all of you with water as a reminder of what it was for you to be baptized. There's a year for me to try and get that organized. Now, sometimes following the church calendar is not always my favorite thing. Because, you see, it's the same story at the same time every year, which is a little awkward. A bit like Christmas, you know, same story every year. And everybody's hoping that you might come up with some new sort of take on it all. So why keep with this one? Well, maybe if I'd not told you about it, you'd be none the wiser. I suppose I can only answer by saying that I have found that there are some benefits of having to be drawn back to this story at this time of the year. It is not just an important story. It's not even really a surprising story because it is a surprise that Jesus is asking John to baptize him. It is a big story. It is a big story, for this account of Jesus' baptism can be seen to be about beginnings. As we stand and we watch this scene unfold, as we hear Matthew's account, I think we are supposed to be reminded, we are supposed to be taken back right to the very beginning, the start of the story, because here, as we watch Jesus being baptized, we have the Father and the Son and the Spirit at work. At work together, marking a new beginning. Because after 30 years of obscurity, this is the moment that marks the very beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. And I think it's supposed to be reminiscent of Genesis 1, where we read of God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, together creating a new beginning as they call the world into being as they bring order from chaos, as they bring light from darkness, where together they create humanity from the dirt in their image and they breathe life into us. In this account, in this story of the baptism of Jesus, we see and we hear the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit working together creating and bringing into being this new beginning for all of creation in the ministry of Jesus. Now, New Year is often heralded as a time for new beginnings and fresh starts, and we've already touched on that. Andy's talked about resolutions and that kind of stuff. We're encouraged to make resolutions, aren't we? Which, as we've already said, Andy said, you know, if you're anything like me, by the time we get to week two of the year, I've usually broken 
even the easiest of resolutions that I have kept or I have made for myself. So much so that I think uh, I, uh, the best resolution that I, I've ever kept is the one that I cynically made one year, which was simply that I might keep breathing. I thought, I thought if I broke that, it might well have not actually been my fault. Um, <laughs> uh, um, to be quite honest with you, it seems to be going okay so far. But it does, highlight, it does highlight something quite true. And this is that we are often powerless to change ourselves. We are often powerless to change ourselves. Even if we do give it a good go, we're often powerless to change ourselves. But the God that we say we believe in is the God of new beginnings. He is the God of fresh starts. So if this new year you think you feel like you'd like to make a change, New Year, New You, all of that kind of stuff, then maybe the very best place to start is in the company and in the presence of the God who created and loves you and has the power to make all things new. This story is a big story because it's about beginnings. But it's a big story as well because it's about identity. Can you see what we're doing here? Can you? Can you see how this is going? Yeah, three-point sermon around big. You get it? Good. This story is about identity as well. Not just because we obviously get told Jesus is the son of God, but also that we see something of the nature of Jesus and his ministry as well. Jesus, the sinless son of God, asked to be baptized by John. And this is surprising. This is kind of a role reversal. John's predicted Jesus is going to baptize everybody with this baptism of fire. And now Jesus is coming to John for a literal baptism by water. Why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus, who was greater, submit to baptism for the forgiveness of sin? Did he need to repent of his own sins? I mean, it's a question that's caused much embarrassment and concern to many Christians down through the ages who've tried to make sense of all of that. But, you know, I don't think Jesus was baptized because he needed to repent of his sin, because he had none. I think his baptism, marking the start of his ministry, also shows us that the true identity of Jesus was to be seen in how he identified with all those who were around him. In being baptized by John, Jesus identifies himself with the faults and the failures and the pains and the problems of all the broken people who had flocked to the Jordan River. By wading into the waters with them, he took his place beside them and he takes his place beside us. And all this happened in the Jordan River. This is significant too. In the river that the people of Israel, after God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt, had to cross to get into the promised land. In this place, this boundary between what was past and the long-promised land it was promised by God. The Son of God takes his place in this place, this boundary between what was past and what was long promised by God. And he does so beside all who long for change, all who long for a fresh start, all who long for a new beginning. In spite of their brokenness, 
in spite of their sin, in spite of their pain, in spite of their problems. And as his ministry unfolds, we begin to realize and we begin to see that the identity of Jesus as fully God and fully human enables him to be the one who bridges, if you like, that divide between a life that's held in slavery to sin, from which we have absolutely no power to free ourselves, and the promised land of God's coming kingdom. The vision of heaven opening and the voice of God speaking punctuates this baptism of Jesus and they signal the meaning and the message and the mission of Jesus as he goes public after 30 years of invisibility. That by the power of the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, the Son of God embodied his Father's unconditional love of all people everywhere. I love the fact that before Jesus has done anything, the father says, this is my son and I love him. His beloved, this is my beloved son. He hasn't done anything, but he's the beloved son. And maybe some of you here this morning need to realize that as God looks at you, he sees you as his beloved. You don't have to do anything. He loves you. Beloved, be loved, be loved because that's how God looks upon you. He loves you. This is my son, whom I love. Jesus' true identity, you see, is revealed and affirmed by the Father and the Spirit when he's identified himself with people just like you and just like me. And as such, he gives us an example to follow. And this is why baptism is such an important and powerful ritual within the Christian faith. It isn't just about getting wet. It's not. In baptism, in baptism, we are stripped, if you like, of everything that stands in the way of us and God. It is an enactment of the process of dying stripping of the spirit as we are confronted with God's judgment and his mercy, a stripping of our mind as we are confronted with God's desire to free us from slavery, a stripping of our bodies as we are confronted with God's power in the face of death. We are washed. It is a washing of new birth, an enactment of resurrection, connecting with Jesus' experience of heaven opening and the spirit descending and being embraced, being embraced by the Father's love. Washing includes this element of drowning, if you like, taking away all that gets in the way of us and God. And we are clothed. We are clothed, and clothing is about some kind of ministry being bestowed upon every new disciple. There is a new calling and a new vocation. Jesus marks his public ministry in the world through baptism. And in baptism, we find our place in God's story because we become united with the one who identified with us in baptism. As Paul says in Galatians 3, in baptisms we've put on Christ like a garment and we find our identity in all that he is. So that it's not who we are, it's not what we do, it's not what we have that marks out the people we are, but it is Jesus in his death, in his resurrection. We are the children of God. Amen. We are children of God. That's a bit better. 
don't want you going to sleep halfway through. Baptism, if you like, establishes that identity. Jesus Christ in this passage is who God says he is. And so also in baptism, we are who God says we are. We are daughters and we are sons of God. The world might tell you who they think that you are. Culture might tell you who they, you are. <laughs> But the only person to really listen to who knows who you are is the one who created you. And he calls you beloved son, beloved daughter. We are who God says we are. So baptism is an enactment of death that unites us with Jesus and it marks our identity as the children of God. So if you've never been baptised, maybe at the beginning of this new year, it would be a good time to think and pray about what that might mean for you, or maybe why you haven't. And come and talk to me, or talk to somebody else that you might trust about getting baptised. And if you have been baptised, then let's remind ourselves of the words that are spoken on the occasion of our baptisms. They're words in a way that we have sung about this morning, that we believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we confess that Jesus is our Lord and that Jesus is our Savior, that we turn from all that is death-dealing, that we turn from evil and we intend to follow Jesus with all that we are, that we are living within the fellowship of the church and we're going to serve Jesus in the world. How's that working out for you? is what I'm saying. Because baptism in just one moment, you tick the box and then carry on, it's supposed to mark a moment that marks the rest of the way in which you live. How are those things evidenced in your life, those things that you said were going to mark you as a child of God? How's it working out for you? By the grace of God and in the power of the Spirit, our identities as sons and daughters of God, dead to ourselves, alive to God by his Spirit, are spoken of and realized at baptism. I wonder, do you need to revisit them at the beginning of a new year? Do you need to ask for strength to do all that you desire to do for Jesus? Because if you're anything like me, the Spirit's very willing, but the flesh is very weak. I have great ideas of how I'm going to absolutely revolutionize the world for Jesus. But the practicality of it is somewhat different. Do you need to ask for strength to do all that you desire to do for Jesus? Do you need to hear the Father's words spoken over your life again? That it's not really about what you do. It's about the fact that you are beloved. And you are his daughter. And you are his child, his son. This big story is about beginnings and identity. And finally, it is about something as simple as God with us. Now, far too often, I think we sing about this and we pray about this and we talk about it at Christmas because it's when we talk about Emmanuel, isn't it? And we go, oh, Emmanuel, you know, it means God with us. And it's all Christmassy because we remember Jesus coming to be with us. But we fail to allow the wonder of this to stay with us as the new year dawns, as the decorations are packed away and life just grinds on. And yet as we think about how this account of baptism of Jesus speaks of new beginnings and of identity, let's not forget that in both of these things, the whole purpose of God is that you might know 
the closeness of his presence and the closeness of his love with you always. Not just at Christmas, not just when things are going well, but maybe when you feel a long way from God, or maybe when life stinks and it hurts. Emmanuel, God with us then as well. So much so, God with us in all things. Because in Jesus, every barrier, every hurdle that could ever get in the way of you drawing close to God has been dealt with. It's been taken away. There's nothing that hinders you being close and closer still to the God who loves you. At the beginning of a new year, in a world that is marked, let's be quite honest, by so much uncertainty, where anxiety and chaos and darkness still surrounds us and those that we love, this is truly a big story. For in the beginnings that it marks and reminds us of, in the identities that it makes known and makes possible, this story is one through which God makes it known that in the disappointments and the frustrations and the separation and the anxieties and the uncertainty of our broken and torn apart 2024 world, he is for you. He is for you. He loves you. And he is with you always. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that in this story of Jesus being baptized, we realize something of the immensity of your love for each one of us. Jesus, we thank you that as you went through the waters of baptism, you identified with people just like us. People powerless to change themselves, people who are broken, disappointed. And Lord Jesus, at the beginning of this new year, we would ask, we would ask that we might know your company with us. We would ask, Holy Spirit, that you might come afresh to each and every one of us. We would ask, Heavenly Father, that we might hear you speaking those words over us. This is my child, my son and my daughter, whom I love. And we would ask that we might live in the true identity of who you say we are. That we might live as your daughters and as your sons. And that as we do that, that through us, others may know your love your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, and that your kingdom might come for the glory of your name.